Welcome to Talking Giants Player Profiles and Projections. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Panic, And we are back in PPP season. So this is the first one. So I'll give a little explanation, a little, you know, start, a little, little, a little bit at the top. We are doing an p- episode every single weekday for the next six weeks throughout all of training camp. We will have on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be two players, one offense, one defense, talking about those players individually. And then you'll have your regular Tuesday and Friday pods. It's a little different this year with uh, some of the preseason games. But, man, I am very excited. And we are starting with Sterling Shepard and Aziz Ojolari. And this is uh, the fifth year we've done this. This is the fifth year Sterling Shepard will be the one we lead it off with. Longest tenure giant, Sterling Shepard will always be the first player that we kick off PPPs with. As long as he is a New York football giant. Hey, Bobby Skinner, and I want to welcome everybody. It's PPP season, it's training camp season. Bobby Skinner and I are going to be together in East Rutherford, New Jersey, Quest Diagnostics Training Center, watching our New York football giants practice this week. Really excited for that. Uh, This is the time of the year that I love the most. Bobby's a big fan of draft season. I love camp season the most because you're 0-0. (laughs) <laughs> you have an 0-0 record. Uh, you know, the record's all clean. Everything's wiped clean. The, all there is is optimism. And we cover camp, I think, better than anybody else. And I love that. Um, so five days a week, plus we have live streams, too, on YouTube after the practices that are open to the public. Bobby Skinner, let's do it. But let's kick off PPPs with Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard, 5'10", 201 pounds, 30 years old now. He's hit the 30-year-old mark. He's the longest tenure giant by two years and if Saquon were to sit out it'd be by three years with Saquon not there and Nick Gates uh leaving for Washington and Sterling Shepard has been one of the most frustrating players to cover the last five years because he's a good player right and I want to like ask like is he the best wide receiver on the team when he's healthy because like 2021 version of Sterling Shepard is the best wide receiver on this team by a mile but he's biggest issue is he misses games and it's getting worse and that's why I didn't think he'd be back this season you know he's coming off of a week three ACL tear which was coming off of a week 17 Achilles tear you know he's missed 36 out of the last 68 games you know over 50 percent you know the last four years missing 14 10 4 and 6 games so we're going to talk about him I'm excited to see him out there but again the injuries are they are the conversation with Sterling Shepard can he stay healthy yeah, they certainly are, and it sucks that, especially last year, man, sucks that we lost, even for a half a season, sucks that we lost Sterling Shepard because it just feels like, and you've talked about this too, and I'm going to leave this right to you, it feels like this Brian Dable scheme, this Mike Kafka scheme, is so optimal and so ideal for Sterling Shepard, and we also learned with Jason Garrett, we also learned that Sterling Shepard is a, is a system proof player like no matter what system you put him in it feels like he's going to have production um he has a really good connection with daniel jones really high catch rate the last couple years so bobby tell me what did we miss out uh on last year with with without sterling shepherd like why is this scheme so optimal and ideal for sterling shepherd uh and his skill set yeah i mean i would be pumped just get to if you told me we can get 11 games out of sterling shepherd i'm excited about that Here's why. One, he is the most versatile on the team when it comes to inside-outside flexibility, which is huge for this what they want to do offensively. He's the best route runner and the smartest for the things that they want to do, which was the option routes, uh, option routes, choice routes. And, you know, we talk about how the Giants' offense changed throughout the season. His injury coincides with them changing the offense. You know, those first three weeks was when they were pushing stuff downfield, throwing a little more of the choice routes, not working the, you know, 
not going so run heavy and uh, play, you know, under center play action. His injury coincides with that. And you think about it, once he got injured, they were forced to play Darius Slayton, which they did not want to do. And then they had David Sills and Richie James starting for them. And Kenny Galladay. Yeah, and Kenny Galladay, you know, still getting some uh, playing time at that point. You know, and you look at it, he had 13 catches, 154 yards through three games last season, which 51 yards per game, which led the team officially. Now, unofficially, Slayton averaged 55 yards per game because he had three games where it combined for like 20 snaps. But his 4.3 catches per game uh, led the team this past season. Like, he is, to me, their best wide receiver, but we're not really... Like, whenever you put your starting wide receiver group together, he's not in it. It's usually a Hodgins, Slayton, and Campbell. No one's putting Shepard in it, but I think we all agree that he's probably their best wide receiver. And really, the only reason why you don't say that he is the best is because he just hasn't been on the field over the last couple of years, and that's really, really frustrating. But he was going to play last year. Out of all the, you know, the 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 revolving doors that was, you know, who was going to be the the two to three Giants wide receivers this week that get the majority of the snaps? Is it going to be Sills? Is it going to be, you know, when Tony was still floating around? Is it going to be Galladay? Is it going to be Marcus Johnson? Remember him? You know, Shep played 81% of the snaps through three games that he was eligible to play. 72% of the Titans game, 88% of the Panthers game, 81% of the Dallas game as well. And Bobby, you mentioned kind of maybe Shep's role a little bit and how the offense changed after Shep went down with that injury. Shep had four targets of 20-plus yards last year out of his 24. He had three in 2021 on a lot more targets, and he had eight in 2020, again, with a lot more targets than what he had in just three games, a measly three games with the Giants last year. Four targets of 20-plus yards in three games is kind of a crazy rate compared to those past years. So here's even my question too, Bobby, because the Giants offense in week one in the early part of the season was clearly not as good in certain ways as it was towards the end of the season. Think to the Viking, you know, the two Vikings games, the Colts games, and when they started throwing more on early downs and utilizing the quick game. I would have loved to see Sterling Shepard involved in this early down pass, you know, early down pass frequency and getting the ball out of your hands quick and involved in the quick game because of how good of a route runner he was. And that's kind of like what he did with Jason Garrett, and he excelled in that role the last two years. Do you agree or disagree with that? That I want to see that, him that more you in the second half? The, that you would have loved to see Sterling Shepard in like that second-half Giants offense utilizing the quick game. Yeah, but but like you said before, I think he's kind of scheme-proof, where it's like whatever scheme you run, he's going to fit in it. So if like he would have fit in every single one. Right. Uh, of the of the different types of things that they tried to do even you know when they went run heavy he's a very good blocker you know think about yeah. that last drive of the game versus the titans where he comes in and 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 you know closes off of a, a db so that's where it's frustrating because like man he can come out here and, and be be playing and you know we talked about you talked about him being like there he was their wide receiver one through three weeks he missed the majority of camp last year and this year we should we should know by now when this episode comes out we're recording this a few days before uh monday but he was running routes in otas like i'm not like he should be ready to go in camp you know maybe he's not there the first week but he's gonna be like i i, I don't i don't think this is gonna be some slow gradual like bring back for sterling shepherd i think he's gonna be practicing is there a part of you that feels over the last two years that they've rushed him back from major injuries or are you cleared and you're cleared I mean, he's clear. He looks good. 
Like he, whenever he cut, like he's never came back and been like, oh, he doesn't look good. So I, I don't, I don't think that he's been rushed back. It's just, you know, he's a very, it's a very weird body he has where it's one of the most injury prones and also one of the quickest healers you've ever seen. I hope load management is, you know, the, that term that Dable started using. And it's a term that's, I, I'm sure a lot of sports fans cringe when they hear that in all of sports, um, you know, basketball, baseball, et cetera, et cetera. If there's one player that I hope load management applies to this summer, it is Sterling Shepard. And I'm confident that it will. Um, this guy doesn't necessarily, he doesn't need camp to fully get ready to rock and roll and know the system and stuff like that. I, he's, he's if week one were to happen next week. Guarantee you Sterling Shepard would be ready to go. So yeah, I had down that he's a good blocker, a dude that's always going to give us all. And even dude, there is value, I guess, to him even not being on the field too. So I love that Sterling Shepard's back. I just wish that he was on the field. I wish you can lock it and tell me that he is going to play even 10, 11 games this year. Like you said earlier. Yeah, I mean, he's missed 24 out of the last 34 games this this past two seasons. So he's he's been, you know, he's missed, you know, over over two-thirds yeah. of those games. Now, here's the question when they brought him back. They brought him back on a minimum contract. So, you know, you're not hurting anything by bringing him back. But we said, what is the plan for him, though? Because yeah. he's not a six-wide receiver. But again, like, I don't, no one really puts him in that starting wide receiver group. And you talk about, well, when injuries happen, that stuff takes care of itself. But Shep has been the one that's been often in that spot. Like, can do you go into a, a week one if Hodge and Slayton and Campbell are healthy? And do you want to do tight, two tight end sets with Bellinger and, and Waller and just not really play him that much? Like, getting less than 50% of the snaps? Getting, you know, no, you're I, throwing I've him thought up about for this. 15 plays? Like, I, that's, the, that's where I am the most confused like i know who sterling shepherd is a player i know the injury history my question though is on for the first time ever since he's been a new york giant uh is what do you do with him because i've always been able to tell you what to do with him this is the first year i don't know what they do with him no i've thought of this and if you're a first time listener we've now gotten to the p that's in projection where we're going to try and project right so the three kind of projection questions that I have, you hit it. It's like, what is his role? What is the expectation? Is there even an expectation for Sterling Shepard being on kind of like that vet minimum? Sterling Shepard's on the vet minimum, but he's de- definitely doesn't feel like a player that should be on the vet minimum just based on what he can be and what he has been even on the limited basis in the past, like just keeping Daniel Jones afloat <laughs> during the during the Jason Garrett years. Week one, let's just say everyone is relatively healthy. I do think he plays at least 50% of the snaps. I do. Over who? So which which of the three wide receivers is the odd man out? Slayton, Hodgins, or Campbell? Slayton, Hodgins, or Campbell. Because I don't see them want... Like it, Slayton, they just paid. Right. Hodgins, who I think might be the right answer, they love Hodgins, and I don't see them reducing his, like, his role. It doesn't have to be... It, somebody will have to... It's not one. It's the perfect answer is not. Oh well, you just rotate all three of them. Somebody will have to be the loser there. I think it. I think it's Shepard. I really do. All right, but how, how about like 30, 30 to forty percent of the snaps? I think that's like a lock. I think he plays. But it's just hard to give the fourth wide receiver thirty to forty percent of snaps. I know the way a rotation goes. I know. And especially Damn. for a team that wants to do two tight end stuff this year. I think camp will make this question open up and we'll see the packages that they're running with, with the ones and some of the team periods and stuff like that. 
it depends on when Stoney Shepard is like cleared for contact, I even guess too. Like he's out there running around, sure, but is he cleared for contact again? TBD, we'll see, you know, just a matter of, you know, in a, in a short amount of days. But he's going to play because he's good when he's out there. He's good. He's too good. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's just it's just the first year where I, I don't know what to tell people with this. Yeah. And he is more productive on the outside than in the slot. Like, remember, it was a couple of years ago that we would call Sterling Shepard. This is like a this is like a post Golden Tate conversation where people are like, oh, Sterling Shepard could just jump back right in the slot. Where it's like, well, he's been playing on the outside the last couple of years and he's been actually more productive and better, looked better on the outside than he did in the slot. And if anything, his outside numbers kind of looked like they were slot numbers because the average depth of target was so low and the catch rate was so high. But he's been playing on the outside, and even in the you know even in the three games last year, extremely short sample size. Um, you know, I, I I looked at the splits; he was more productive on the outside than when he was in the slot. So well, that's why he's such a perfect fit for this team. He has yeah. the most versatility from the inside out. He's the best route runner. I think he's the smartest. He blocks. It's just. He can't get on the field. Like so, no. if he were to play last year, I'm telling you, he would have been the clear wide receiver one for the team. All right. Um, so he would have had to come in at the speed of element, but like he would have been the guy the offense ran through in the passing game. He has at least one touchdown every year of his career, so that has to continue this year. He's got to get at least one. Yeah, let's get him that one. I mean, first passing, t- first receiving touchdown of a lot of years too. His rookie year, that Dallas game, he scored the first touchdown. Yeah. Or was it Cruz who had the? It was no, either it Cruz might have been had, Cruz. Yeah. I remember they both had touchdowns last year, 2021 versus the Broncos, 2020 versus the Steelers. That was Slayton. 2019 was Ingram. 2018. 2018 we, Barkley rushing touchdown. You've been thinking receiving touchdown. Receiving. Did we have a receiving touchdown in that Jags game? <laughs> tough i don't think it was in 2000 all right anyways all right that's sterling shepherd come on pay attention in there let's go we got a beautiful day work play fast play fast whoa ah. aziz ojulari six foot two 255 pounds 23 years old heading into year three after being a second round draft pick for the new york giants uh from out of 2021 last year justin only played 17 or seven games but he had five and a half sacks, seven QB hits compared to the year before as a rookie where he had a good rookie year, played 17 games, but he had eight sacks, 13 QB hits. Justin, Aziz Ojolari is another guy who falls in this frustrating category because he didn't just have one injury last season, but he was productive and made a huge difference. We're going to go into some stuff where I think he really made a difference to this defense when he was on the field, but he just got injured four different times like he came into the camp on pup then got hurt uh in the preseason then came back and then got hurt uh again and then came back and then was limited to at the end of the season Zizo Ojolari took an actual second year jump where a lot of people who a lot of people in Aziz Ojolari's shoes who have their rookie season they don't take that year to jump Aziz did but it was just he wasn't on the field enough to really shine yeah the injuries last year both calves acted up for him you know usually sometimes you hear the maybe the hammy injury over the summer that plagues some wide receivers or you know even any any kind of lower body injury that you get over the summer it could plague you for an entire year well he didn't just get one calf hurt in the summer well he got another calf hurt uh, sometime around last year too but uh he I listened to the Giants huddle uh podcast interview that he did 
before this. He said he's 100% ready to go health-wise. He thought that it was something a lot worse when he felt the calf pop uh, during last summer, during like the, the Jets-Giants joint practices, during just like light sprints it happened. It was very, very weird last summer ha- to see him go down. Because it was such light, it wasn't even contact because it was just him jogging that he had the calf injury. You're thinking that he's like done. And it's like, oh, this is bad. Usually when guys go down like that, it's really bad. Aziz also talk, I, I'm just, I just took, I, I took notes from that interview. Uh, we talked about moving all around the line of scrimmage and there was a call back to Philadelphia Eagles game where he like impacted the impact of the QB. I'll let Bobby talk about that. He talked about himself versus the run. He said a big point of emphasis this camp is strike at the point of attack and getting off of blocks and shedding off blocks. But striking at the point of attack, that sounds like setting an edge to me, is off-season training as a way to maybe offset the injuries that happened this past year. He went down a group for lifting. That was the words that he used. So in the in, in years past, he would yeah. be training with Andrew Thomas. This past year, he was training with familiar friend Evan Ingram. So he wasn't lifting with the offensive lineman and the big defense alignment. So he was lifting um, uh, lighter weights and not going such with the heavyweight training, which I think, you know, is, is it sounds like it's a good thing according to smart people. He is the same weight as last year, 250 to 255 pounds. Wink Martindale did say that he is coming in a little heavier, but Aziz Ojolari says he doesn't see himself going any higher for the rest of his career, which is kind of, hey, I think that's a kind of a good benchmark for Aziz to be at. He certainly looks bulky, certainly looks big. And man, this wasn't in the interview, but I looked at his pro football reference page, 23 years old. That's it. Aziz Ojolari is 23 years old. And I'm so excited to watch him this year. We'll get into the stats, but Bobby, let me get your thoughts. Yeah, um, and I remember that being a talking point coming out of the trap, 21 years old, very young. The numbers last year were really good for him. Like, if you just put a season on a 17-game rate, like, he had 13 sacks, 17 QB hits, and 22 pressures. And you would look at that and be like, ooh, but that's heavily favored towards sacks. Sacks aren't the most predictable, you know, because the QB hits and pressures aren't aren't super high on that 17-game rate. But in four of the seven games he played, he played less than 50% of the snaps. And he only yes. only had one game that was over 60%. So keep that so, in mind So let me say when this, you Bobby. look at the high pressures and hits, which are like you got to play a full game to accumulate those. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also a huge believer, by the way, especially with pass rushers. And Bobby, let me know if you disagree with this. I'm a big believer with rushing the passer and looking at pass rush production, you know, stats. I think you got to get your, your feet wet a little bit whether that's in your season or whether that's in an actual game of feeling out your opponent. Like if you're just being judged on, okay, you played one game, but you only had maybe 10 to 12 opportunities to really get after the quarterback. That's tough to evaluate somebody. So there were three games Aziz Ojolari had last year of over 25 pass rush snaps, two with 15, one with 17, and the rest were less than 10. Really only three games where Aziz Ojolari was out there as like a full-time starter. In those three games, in those games, four of his five QB hits came in those games via PFF, and four of his six sacks came in those games. So that stretch of games, there was like a three-week stretch this past year. Some I think a Washington game was in there. I think the Minnesota game. No, Washington Eagles in, in Minnesota. Minnesota is when he left. The game Minnesota, early. So I don't even know if he got to 25 pass rush snaps against Minnesota, but sort of that stretch of the season, that's when he did most of his damage when he was getting the snaps, 
when he, I guess he was at his healthiest. So I think that stuff matters. Getting out on the field and getting your, you know, getting getting to know your opponent and things like that. Well, and his sacks were all very important. Like he had a strip sack versus both the Bears and Commanders, which led to points. And you mentioned that Eagles play uh, where this is where I think Wink Martindale helps Aziz. Like he got lined up on a guard. He gets that sack. Puts them at fourth down at the one-yard line. The Giants block the punt and then, you know, score a touchdown right after. Obviously, they got smoked in that game. But, hey, that wasn't Aziz Ojolari's fault. Um, you know, if you look at, like, his his uh, sack pressure hit rate per pass rush snap, it was 8.7%. That was highest on the team. Dex was 7.2%, which is a pretty big difference. And his pass rush win rate went up from 6.7% as a rookie, which was a critique of ours. Which, like, he's got some decent box score numbers but he's not winning on a uh, on a consistent enough basis. Went up to 10.7%, which and isn't I top like of the league see, of stuff, but it's still good. No, it's good. not. I would like to see like those kind of four-ish weeks, those three those three games where he got over 25 pass rush snaps. I, I, I don't think there's a way for us to find this out unless we contact somebody at PFF, but I would like to see like the pass rush win rate in those games. Because again, you, know, that, you, got, you got to get the flow of the game kind of underneath you. And in the games in which he had that opportunity to do so, he was extremely, extremely disruptive. Well, and just, you know, this isn't always the best thing, but I like looking at this because this is when they had four guys out there. We talked about the pass rush. Remember after that commander's game, like, this pass rush is kind of real deal. Yeah, it won us the game. With Aziz Ojolari on, on the team or playing active. The Giants averaged 3.66 sacks per game. Mm. That would be second in the NFL. Without him, they averaged 1.7 per game, which would be 28th. Now, again, there's difference. It's you. That's not like okay with Aziz, they're going to be their second best pass rush team without their 28th. But it does. I does. I do think it paints a pretty fair picture of like him in the lineup and him without because now you got to account for four guys with obviously Dex and Leo in the middle and then Kayvon and Aziz outside on the edges. And he looked like an improved player. You know, like he we did. saw it from day one in preseason. Like, man, he looks like he's a different player. Like, his feet were always very good, right? Like, very good feet, able to dip, the, uh, bend the edge. And you saw that. Like, he had a sack on Christian Derisaw, who Christian Derisaw had a really good year, too. Was Had, you know, one of the highest pass-blocking efficiency numbers. But he was able to get a sack on him, so he still had that good feet. But he added some power element to his game. Wasn't out there killing dudes. But he did add some power element, and his hand usage with that was much improved where he could disengage blocks. Where rookie season, it was like, hey, he was feast or famine, and most of the time it was famine, but that feast led to the eight-sack number, which we liked. He just wasn't able to disengage uh, once blocks got got on him, and that's where he looked to improve. Again, he's not Nick Bosa, but he was able to disengage blocks. Yeah, and we're not looking for Nick Bosa and top-tier pass rusher from... Aziz Ojolari, but man, you know, it, it, the, the potential is there. And I guess, Hey, now, now we'll move to a little bit of projection. If Aziz plays a somewhat full slate of games, like he's going to get double digit sacks. Like, and I have, I really, that may be too high of an expectation on Aziz Ojolari. You know, they even talked about in that giant huddle interview and Aziz recognizes that the pass rushers recognize that in wing scheme, because the blitz rate is so high for, for Wink's defense, quarterbacks are going to be naturally, inevitably trying to get rid of the ball quicker, and there's going to be, you know, they're going to be working their own version of a quick passing game, right? But I just off of last year, if he plays somewhat of a full slate of games, I feel like he's going to get double-digit sacks, and something that he really started to do well last year 
is go after the football. He had three forced fumbles. Um, and you mentioned that sack that he had on Darisaw. That same play, he goes after and he hits Kirk Cousins' hands. And I really don't know how Kirk Cousins does not fumble that ball. So that's credit to that's credit to Kirk. So in my brain, it's like, man, you had you know four really good shots at getting a football out of a, out of a quarterback's hands last year in such limited reps and in limited games. And I'm going to give this comparison, and a lot of people like to compare Kayvon to this guy. I do get some OCU Manure vibes from uh, Aziz Ojolari. Maybe not the best against the run, doesn't set the best edge, but that bend and that speed, and he makes a concerted effort to strip the ball. I really do see a lot of OCU Manure and Aziz Ojolari. Just stay let's, healthy. Let's talk about him in the run game. We'll finish off with that. He still does have issues setting an edge in the run game, and I don't know if that's ever going to he's ever going to be some good edge setter. What he can do, though, is become a better playmaker, which is what he talked about in that interview, which is disengaging blocks and, and making tackles for loss or stops out on on the edge. But, yeah, it's like he's never going to squeeze down a gap. He just he just doesn't have that that type of strength in his game where that can be some issues in the run game. And I think underrated bad element of the Giants' defense, run defense last year was the edge setting was inconsistent, which allowed you know teams weren't to pull and have wide open gaps for tackles and guards to pull through. So that's where the worry is with Aziz. But hey, he's a productive pass rusher, and hopefully we get him for the majority of the season. And last year was just a very random blip in the radar because he played a full season as a rookie, played all of his time at Georgia. I know there was some medical worries in the draft, but nothing that made him miss games until this past season. So... We appreciate you whoa, guys. We will, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to get your take. I want to get your projection. I, I put it out there that if, if he's playing somewhat of a full slate of games, he's getting double-digit sacks. Are you with me or are you not? No one's done it in a Wink Martindale defense. Matthew Judon, who's killing it with the Patriots, has it, so I'm not going to predict, predict double-digit sacks. But I am going to – I think he'll be top 20, 20 to 25 in the NFL in totals of sacks, hits, and pressures. Okay. So, oh, is sacks hits? And I do think Aziz is, and not to delay the ending of the show, I do think Aziz is going to be the type of NFL player, and this is more than fine. I think Aziz is going to be the kind of NFL player that gets more sacks than stuffs the stat sheet with hits and pressures. Yeah, I mean, he's shown that so far the Correct. first couple he's, of years. That's exactly what he's shown, So, but, and I don't mind him. All right, we appreciate you guys. We will see you tomorrow. Until then, let's go big blue.